Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. That would be Mr. Briscoe. I would be Bradshaw. I got the privilege of working two years for the CWA for Otto Vance and Peter William in Europe. And I met people ask me all the time, who is the greatest heel of all time? There's one person on the top of that mountain to me, and that is Dave Fit Finley. Uh, unbelievable what he did throughout his career. He's also a great guy and a good friend. Dave, thanks for joining the show. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, looking forward to hearing some of your lines. <laughs> well, I want to hey, start Dave. right off with I want to start <laughs> right off with this. I missed. If you carry on in the I missed. Never touched. <laughs> Do you not feel bad at all about that? There was nowhere for me to go. You know what? No. I don't. <laughs> Here's the thing. You'd have done the same to me. So, <laughs> Jerry, hey, Dave, he did the same. Dave, he did the same with me in a parking lot in Germany. So don't, don't, don't let him make you feel no. bad. I, Gerald, Gerald, I do not have any conscience about that. Not one, not one bit. After that night in the parking lot in Germany, we come to the bus the next day. We're all scratched up, and we can't figure out what happened. And they go, guys, you were wrestling each other last night. I go, oh, that's that's where it happened. <laughs> yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of parking lots in Germany, I seen a big Texan one time about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning running around with just little white bobby socks on. Naked. <laughs> I, I, don't may, know. I may have had my hat on. I'm not sure, but I may have had my hat on. <laughs> Well, the, the the worst part about it was there was someone chasing you with a with an extension of a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> and all he had was socks. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Dave, that story Dave, could have Dave, not be true. Dave, one of the greatest things about doing this show, uh, other than our guest, is uh, JBL makes me do research and and, and do a little post. So, you know, we travel up and down the roads together with a lot of these guys, even like Stan Hansen and Steve Kern, which I, you know, I basically was from the beginning. But we get to go back and look and look at a video of of matches, you know, doing a little research and trying to get a a lay of of what we're going to do on the show. And, uh, John sent me a documentary on on you and your family, and I would I was in, I mean I just I was spellbound with the entire hour and a half of it. Man, what an incredible uh, family you come from! What an incredible background you have! And uh, I mean, all you ever been is Dave Fen- Dave Fit Finley wrestler. I mean, besides that, a pothole gimmick that you, you had with the beer cans on top of you, <laughs> which yeah. by, by the way. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> you set me up here. I'm I'm hanging up. <laughs> it took me forever to find that. Yeah, because most people that seen that are dead. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but this is the great thing. Are, are it's a great thing about our, our generation, y'all. You know, you know, I'm sure you tell you know, I always tell these kids over at the NXT. You know, you guys live in a great, great information world. If you ever have any questions about anything, you know, back in our days, you know, we had to 
just ask the word of mouth, ask friends. But nowadays, all they got to do is push a damn button on their phone and they can bring up the history of you, me, uh, even even in black and white with me and then even Bradshaw, Layfield, you know. But it's awesome. These kids have so much at their disposal to learn nowadays, you know. If they don't take advantage of it, shame on them. No, you know, going back to that photo there of young Apollo, it's a, you know, if you if you watch the documentary, you would have heard it, you know. So this thing on my head was a toilet brush, and and all the metal pieces on my chest were beer cans, you know. And my dad, <laughs> and my dad said, "Hey, you got to go out there and smile and wave at people." And I'm thinking, I'm, I've got a toilet brush on my head, a beer. <laughs> what have I got to smile about? <laughs> How are you, young Apollo? With a North Irish accent in Northern Ireland, which makes it even worse, right? Because you know, <laughs> it started. You know, someone didn't show up for my dad. And he said, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta wrestle tonight." So you know, I, I wore all his stuff too big for me. Then, they, then they, my mom and dad came up with this gimmick for me. Hey, good gimmick. I go, what? I'm, I don't know what to expect here. They go, a Roman soldier with all this stuff. I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm like ten miles. <laughs> Belfast, why would I be a Roman soldier? You know, <laughs> it was a total rib from the day from day one. I think that's where I became a heel, right there. You think? <laughs> <laughs> you, were four, you were 14 your first match, right? Yeah, 14 year old. Wow. And, the and, started, and then started wrestling regular for your dad after that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it was, oh, once you've done one, then well, we keep going. We just we won't bring that guy back. You just gotta do all the do all the spots. But I, you know, going back to being a heel, I never, ever wanted to be liked or, you know, I couldn't wave at people. I think I might have been shy, but, you know, going to going to primary school when I was about four or five year old, everybody knew my dad because he was a wrestler, right? So then it started people going, oh, that wrestling, it's, you know, it's fake. And it's, ah, yeah. So from an early age, I was punching people in the face. And, that, <laughs> and I think that's where it was because all the way through my career, my sole purpose was not to have people cheer for me or it was like, I'm going to prove to you, to everybody that this is real. So I hated everybody. And I just, my, that's my work was proving that whatever I'm doing is real. So it's Jerry, still, we, bad attitude my whole life. Jerry, we were in Hanover and uh, the way the, the, the European tour worked, uh, I think for the thing if I got this right, Otto had Graz, uh, Austria, Peter William and Otto had Vienna together. And then Peter had Hanover and then Otto had Bremen. And right. so they were, Otto was coming up to work with, to do something with Peter on a Wednesday, which was our, our least day of the week. So we'd have eight straight weeks in the same building. You'd have ticket season ticket holders, same people there. Well, Wednesday was the least crowd we have. So Otto, of course, comes up on a Wednesday because he wants to be there for the least, less crowd and kind of rubbing it on, on Peter. So Peter puts Finley versus me the first time they had done, at least on that tournament, you know, heel versus heel match as a special attraction. So we do American style. I think it was, it was like 20 count outside the ring. We mentioned fight outside a little longer. Dave hits me the clothesline early. And I knew he caught me snug. Not, don't say anything. Come back after the match, sitting there in the locker room. Dave comes in and says, Hey, John, thanks. I said, thanks. Dave was great. And so Dave knows that he got me with the clothesline, but he wants me to admit it. And he says, everything okay? I said, yeah, you never touched me, which really got him mad. <laughs> so I go, uh, clothesline okay? And he's fishing. I said, yeah, it was great. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. So Dave, you can tell there was disappointment. He walked out of the dressing room. 
I had a sandwich by my locker and I took that sandwich and I bit it. My tooth fell out <laughs> right there. <laughs> I said, he knocked out my tooth. Dave was on wow. the other side of the wall. He comes in, he goes, I knew it. Ah, I walked out. <laughs> you don't feel that's bad. What, that's what I always right? like when you first, when you first came to WWE was that, was it was that mental toughness that, you know, a guy walks around and all of us know that uh, spent time in a locker room. You got these guys come in and think they're tough guys, but they don't have that walk. They don't have that attitude. And they just don't have that air about them when, when they come in a locker room. When Dave came in, you knew you, you, you were dealing with a man. You knew you were dealing with somebody that you didn't want to really piss off at that time. And I, that's what I always liked. And, and, and from watching the, watching the old stuff that I, I was I privileged to do today, I could tell at an early age, and then Apollo's probably what gave you that edge. Hell so <laughs> to Apollo. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That was, you know, it was, Dave, was, Dave was one of the guys that, uh, you know, when, when, they, uh, when a family wanted to challenge the boys, Dave was the one that went out there. So you had some huge guys there. You know, now it never happened when I was there. So I didn't see it in person, but it happened regularly up until then. You had huge guys. You had Gustav Smeasel, who's European judo champion or what, judo champion, strongman champion. You had big guys like me, Luke Poirier. Well, they would invariably pick Dave because he was the smaller guy. Well, he's the one that he's the one that would break every limb in his body. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave speaking, speaking of that, Dave, I mean, you, you come from a wrestling uh, family, of course. Your father now, uh, uh, he was on the Irish national team as, as an amateur or something like that. Or he talked. He's a he was a coach. He's a head coach. Uh, you know, he was he, he had all amateur wrestling in, in Northern Ireland and part, partly Southern Ireland. He still coaches now. He's eighty five. He still goes. You know, I COVID, love that. COVID all shut down, but now he's get, they're getting back in there and they're they're doing smaller classes. But he's it's a it's amateur wrestling. It's jujitsu and they're they're doing grappling. So he goes up and you know you know shows them how to wrestle and grapple and take downs and stuff. So yeah. he's. 85, he, he trains every day, pushes weights. Well, was he more of a grappler or a hooker or, 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 or a freestyler? Uh, he, he So his wrestling was freestyle because that's what he taught the kids, you know. It, it was – and you got you to gotta realize what Northern Ireland was. It was troubled. It was, you know, bombs going off everywhere. So it really started where he started getting the community together and get all the kids together and teaching them how to wrestle and give them something to do because it was nothing. But he was he was a shooter, you know. He would he was a grappler, and he would you know, he, you know he. But it, it turned into that he was doing something for the community, and he run professional wrestling. He run amateur wrestling as well, and you know he he did a huge huge service for the for the community over there where we lived, uh, and give kids something to do. And not, that, you know, that's what I really liked about this documentary. I mean, your dad giving back and, uh, and uh, you know, at the end of it, he was still out on the mat teaching these kids. And, uh, you know, the more things are different. I mean, you know, you can, you can take it at scene and, and put it in any state in the United States. And it, it's the same scenario. This, 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 this guy that's devoted to his sport and to his lifelong passion is passing that passion along to these younger kids. And you see the kids, and you can still see the twinkle in your dad's eye when, when they would do the move like he instructed them. And that, that's so awesome to give back. Like you said, you give back to the community. And, 
and kind of walk us through what it was like during that time where he was putting on those camps and those deals, and the war was going on. I mean, Northern, Northern Ireland, everybody knows about Belfast and all that stuff, but you guys were right smack in the middle of it, and you're, you're trying to carry on a business. You're trying to trying to uh, make a living, and you're teaching, and your your family's full of teachers there. So, so what what was going on, David? Well, it was it was. I mean, it all started, in, you know, really kicked off in 1969, and everything sort of shut down. No one, no entertainers would come to to Northern Ireland or Ireland for that sake, you know, and, and travel. Nothing happened. So, uh, my dad was running wrestling shows, so we were the only sort of entertainment. And even though it was it was looked at differently back then, you know, it was we tr- us as performers treated it differently. But it was going to all these different communities, going to places that people would it would taboo to go to these areas. And we would go and and we'd put on wrestling shows, and then we would do like garden fates where you know people would get together on a Saturday Sunday morning, and my dad would put demonstrations of amateur wrestling on and the kids would come along and we'd just sort of slowly bring them into giving them that little bit of pride in themselves on, on, and, and just something to do. You know, there was nothing to do except if they had a ball, they would kick a ball around and that was it. Otherwise it was bombs going off. We lived 10 miles from Belfast in a place called Cary Fergus, Green Island actually. And bombs going off in Belfast, our windows would be shaking in my mother's house. And, you know, it was just horrific. It was just locked down. Um, and and it, you had to be careful where you went. And, of course, then with us going everywhere and spreading that joy or love or, you know, sport among the communities, we were welcomed everywhere. So it was, it was you know, great to see people picking up our sport and, and and becoming something after leaving the sport, you know, they, they they had something built in them, the pride and the, and they go and the, you know get up and do something, and it, and it, I think with most sport, you give it to kids, it helps them in their journey through life. It's not just the sport, but it, it gives them strength for their life. Was your grandfather? Your grandfather was a wrestler too, but there's not a lot of information out there. Was he a wrestler? Was he a promoter wrestler? What was he? So so. Two sides of my family. My, my mother's grandfather, which is my great-grandfather, so he worked on the Titanic. And he, during his lunch, or what they would do, I think it was a riveter, he would go, they'd go down to the bowels of the ship in their lunch break, and they would fight for a bottle of stout. They called it anyway, a bottle of Guinness. And they would just, you know, bare-knuckle fight. The winner got the, got the bottle, and off they went again. So... That's my mother's side, <clears throat> and my um, my mother's father was a wrestler, but ended up being a ring announcer. Uh, my my dad's dad was uh, <laughs> oh oh it's strange people. So he was ended up running away from home when he was a kid. My my granddad, and he be, he became like a prize fighter on the on the high seas. He would go around the seas, and every port of golf, he would get off and fight. Uh, he did a little bit of little bit of professional wrestling, not much. He was just he became an alcoholic. <laughs> Imagine that. <clears throat> this <laughs> strange for this business, right? <laughs> so uh, my sister was was a referee, amateur referee as well as she she also worked for joint promotions. So she was a professional referee. My aunt 
my sis, my mother's sister was a, was a, a professional referee. So it's you know it's it's really deep into it. So we've we've got I'm a third generation of being in the ring. Uh, you know it was sporadic for my grandfather and great grandfather, but from my dad on, it's you know it's steady. And then my you know both my sons now David's in Japan, Brogan he's he's in New Jersey right now. So my my daughter my daughter is a two time amateur champion here in Georgia when she was like seven, eight. Right. Yeah. They, isn't that, isn't that so wonderful now that all these states are, are now uh, certifying women's wrestling, girls wrestling in their high schools, high school wrestling, Dave, uh, for girls is the fastest, largest growing sport in the entire United States is, is girl wrestling. And, uh, yeah. More and more states right now, and I noticed, uh, and I, I, I sent her a thank you yesterday. Stephanie McMahon got on Twitter and said, uh, Iowa, please please certify uh, girls wrestling for high school. That is so important for us as professionals to get involved and promote that sport because there, there's, there's women, there's young ladies out there that, that see our, our girls, Beth Phoenix and girls like that, and Natalie. They've inspired so many young ladies around, and I know a lot of that. A lot of their style is what we see is Dave Finley coming out, and uh, you know the wonderful yeah. job you've done with the ladies. But, but uh, the high school wrestling and your daughter, I love hearing that. You know, brother love Bruce Pritchard, his daughter started wrestling, and I was actually her video coach. You know, after she yeah. wrestled a match, a video of course, and. They'd send me the video, and I'd sit down, and she'd be on the other line, and we'd walk through the complete match there. You know, yeah. it, was, it was so much fun. But I'm so happy for these these young ladies to get to experience a, a great sport like our sport. Thank you. Yeah. You know, my dad also has girls in his, you know, or had in his club girls. Everybody was welcome. So, you know, it's it's a huge thing. And my daughter was was one of very few. This is going back 10 years ago, you know, when she was – doing those state championships. And they only held, I think, maybe two or three here in Georgia and it, because it, they didn't really grab it and they didn't really, I don't know, I don't know if it was resistance or not, but it wasn't, they didn't put any effort into it. Like neither, it's getting, as you said, it's bigger and it's, it's growing and, and it's great to see. Dave, did you uh, ever have to serve uh, w- w- either side uh, there in Northern Ireland? You left pretty early to go work for Oreg, uh, Williams and Wells. So did, was it mandatory for service or did you have to during that time? No, of, uh, no, no, I, no, I, so no, it wasn't. And it, it very awkward thing to do uh, being Northern Irish. Uh, it's a very troubled area and very, you know, risky. But, you know, man, I, I was going wrestling. And even when I was in school, I would, I would, uh, school vacation holidays. So I'm gone. My dad would send me over to, to Oregon Williams and, and Wales and stuff. So I'd be, school holidays, I'd be wrestling every day. And I was like, it was awesome. I was out on the road when I'm a teenager going, like, this is nuts. And seeing all this, the wild side of wrestling as a young kid, I'm somewhat going like, oh, I don't know whether I, I don't know whether I like this or not. <laughs> Because uh-huh. as you can imagine, all the stupid uh-huh. stuff goes on, you know, behind the scenes and after shows and in bars and that. Like, <laughs> stupid stuff in wrestling. <laughs> I'm a little kid. 
<laughs> from, from, a, from the sound of some of the story that I've been able to listen to, you guys' post-ritual uh, was, wasn't too far off from JBL and I's post-match ritual <laughs> here in the Saints. Uh, go to the bar and drink until the damn sun went up. Go back to your trailer, pass out, wake up till the mat when the match has started and, and do the business and do it all over again. Huh? That's it. That's <laughs> a great routine. I know then... If, uh, if any time you felt like going to the gym, I'd just go and lie down until the feeling went away. <laughs> <laughs> when I first got to uh, Europe in 94, where I was in Graz, uh, Austria, and they had a big celebration that day, and they uh, everybody comes in just hammered before the matches. And it was Dave's <laughs> 20th anniversary in the business. <laughs> I'm going to do well here. This is going <laughs> to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. So what was you guys' first match? What was you guys' first hookup? What year was I where you, where you guys actually faced each other and you got brutalized by him, John? Or <laughs> uh probably 95, I think. It was it was Hanover. I, I think it was the first time because we tagged each with each other. We were both heels. So um, you know, Fit was busy pulling Otto's pants down, uh, which is a great story. <laughs> and uh <laughs> it happened in Otto's hometown, by the way. And uh, <laughs> And, and so the, the heels didn't really wrestle each other. That's why it was kind of a special attraction when they put us against each other in Hanover because Otto was coming up to visit and Peter kind of wanted to put some people in the crowd. I think I remember we were we tagged in, in Vienna one time and uh, I, I don't know who the – I know one of the opponents was Victor Kruger. <laughs> yeah. And I, for some reason, started jumping all over him and, and tagged you in and you went, all right. And you ended up jumping over all over him as well. They <laughs> jumped on him, so I did too. I, you know. <laughs> big, big, good-looking guy. Uh, Kruger was. And, and then was, he came back to the locker room. and said, "Hey, I'm 300 pounds. You can't do that to me. Uh, Move the furniture." Just dead. Too late, right? <laughs> <laughs> too late. Right? Yeah, I remember, I remember one time I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and I'd, I've been working Florida, and they booked me against Big John Sutton in one of these tournaments. So. He was going over in the tournament. So I'm out there, you know, I'm a wrestler. So I hook on the big John and I, why not, man? I shoot in and I farmer's carry him. On the way over, he said, Ole told me not to go off of my feet. I said, too late, man. <laughs> yeah. I got back to the dressing room Ole. I said, Ole, I said, damn, I put the guy over. I'm going to take his ass down. You got to expect that. <laughs> Dave, tell about dropping Otto's pants in uh, Graz. So, so Otto, in, inevitably, no matter where you were, if you were in, especially in his hometown, but any, if you got heat at all, Otto would peep his, peep his head out of his office or just stand somewhere where the, where the fans could see him. And if you're getting heat, oh, you know, here they go, ah, oh, Joe, and they'd be starting to chant. And he did it on purpose. I know he did. So this particular time in Gratz, his hometown, here they go, the chant's coming, I've got some heat. And here comes Otto waddling to the ring, you know, Starts his belly at wobbling first and he follows it. Here he comes and he gets to the ring and he's, you know, he's pushing me back. And, he, you know, I don't know, maybe the match is over. I can't remember. But so now he's pushing me back to the locker room. Come on, and I'm swiping at him. And it's people are going nuts. And, you know, it's just crazy. It's a wonderful, crazy time. You know, it's a great place. And he gets me all the way back to the locker room and he's got me pinned up against the door. Well, this particular door is locked, but the one beside me isn't. So he's shoving and shoving. And I think there were TV cameras there and local news, whatever, at the same time. So he's pushing me and pushing. I'm going, we're not going anywhere here. And I reached underneath his belly and pulled his pants down. 
<laughs> and I, you know, took a right turn and went through the door that was open, you know, but he's bent over with his rear end showing, trying to pull his pants up. <laughs> he come in the locker room steaming. He hates me. He wants to kill me. <laughs> uh, we, did this, we did the same thing one time. I'm in Bremen. And Bremen, it's the end of the year. We're going home. It's Christmas time. So in Germany, uh, the 6th of December is called Nikolaus Day, where this, you know, Santa gimmick comes and gives kids little chocolate bars. If they've been good, you know, you're going to get the 25th and you're going to be good. So anyway, I'd been banned from the tournament a few weeks early. You know, I'd, I'd done something and pushed Otto. And he's the same thing. He pushed me back. To his, but I wrecked his <laughs> I wrecked his office. And all the, all the fans have seen this, so he has to do something. So he bans me from the tournament. Well, I show up on the 6th of December dressed as Nikolaus, this big beard, big Santa thing. And no one knew who it was. It was, they were waving at me. And I've got this box. Tony Sinclair is working, he's wrestling with one of the Japanese kids. But Tony's going over, I'm coming in. I've got a box and this big, long, uh, like a Christmas cracker thing that they, they have over there. So I, you know, I'm waving. Everybody's like, oh, here's Nikolaus. The Christmas music plan. I come in the box. This big, this big cracker and Tony's going, oh, he bent down to open the box and I pull out a candlestick from the other one and as he's opening it, like, I execute a and the place just goes silent, just goes because I, I don't take this beard off or anything, I just, I hit him and I go like, it goes silent it seemed like for a minute, but it wasn't it goes silence and I hit him again, and then I take the beard off and they go nuts <laughs> so here here comes Otto. Otto comes, you know, it's like he, he, he can't help himself but come. Here he comes, and he's wobbling. He gets right up onto the apron. And I said, hey, fat man, you step in here. You're getting this stick. Well, he can't back down now. Again, he's on the apron. He steps through, the, through it, and I start. I light him up the stick. And he's, and he's stop, stop, stop. I keep hitting him. And I don't even let him get a comeback. I, do, I don't let him get the stick. I leave. And just... <laughs> <laughs> he just got beat up by Santa Claus. <laughs> Fit, Fit had so much heat one night in Vienna that Otto, I think it was Otto, sent us all out to save him. He working with Mick McMichael, the referee, and he was working his ear. You remember that, Dave? It's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. I've never seen an ear get worked before. And he was rubbing his wrist on the ear, you know, like he's called fire. People were coming out of their chairs. Otto goes, Go save him. Go save him. <laughs> so we all go running down to make sure Dave can get out. <laughs> One night, uh, I told this at the Hall of Fame. I told this a million times. Fit had such a reputation. I'm working with Luke Poyer Rambo in the uh, Hot Mark in uh, Vienna. And I get back and I realize the crowd is gathered around. I'm, I'm probably not going to make it back to the dressing room. And the security wouldn't help. You know, they're local guys. They're not going to help against, you know, the bad guy from you know, Texas. And so – I look up and here comes fit with the boys come charging out of the dressing. I thought, ah, oh, thank goodness, man. I'm going to be all right. I didn't realize it, but a guy right behind me had pulled a butterfly knife. You know, those knives that you pulled around right. and like that. And he was going to stab me in the back with this knife. And I mean, when he sees fit, uh, he looks and he throws the knife down and runs and jumps <laughs> over a fence and leaves, jumps over a fence. Yeah. That fence at the back of that arena was like, on the other side is a huge wall. So, you know, I've chased him and I got, and he bounced over the wall into the street. It was like, I don't know, maybe 
15 feet. Yeah. Yeah. So he had to run did. up the stands to get to the top of the fence. <laughs> and then and we got there and he jumped over the fence to get away from fit. And he had the knife. Man, that's a that's a fear when you throw your knife away when you're you come into a fight with a knife, you know, and you it's throw like, it away when you see your opponent. It's like I'm gonna stab this Texan. Uh oh, here comes the North Irishman. I, I think I'm yeah. gonna leave. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Fit, tell Dave, Dave, the the uh, the style of wrestling over there. What? How would you compare it at, at that time to the United States? Because during that time, if the, the dates are right, we were really starting to get into showbiz over there. Did you guys kind of look at us and say, what the hell are those guys doing over there? Or did you I, always look at us and say that? I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, so it was more wrestling. You know, it was there was more, you know, holes and stuff, and it was a competition because – you know, you were there every day for six weeks or nine weeks or whatever it was. So, you, I mean, you couldn't be doing it. Plus, our rings were really hard. So, all that we did have five flyers in, and they were a, a one here or there, which was good because then he was unique and special. Chocolate and vanilla. Yeah. So, we had we, – it was mainly a big man's territory. It was all, you know, smash mouth and holes and just work. It, it was different. but. You know, eventually we got into the you know chain matches and street fights and all that. You had to because you know we were competing with everything else out there. So, but it was it was more wrestling uh, than it was entertainment. Jerry, one did of the you great guys have uh, as far as uh, promotion. Did you guys have TV regular TVs or uh, how did how did you promote the matches besides you know word of mouth putting up the old school posters and stuff like that? Well, well it was it was like so these tournaments were like. They were almost like, okay, Oktoberfest is in October, and that's what – so this was in every – I mean, this is going on before the Second World War. There was a – you know, there was a break during the war. You know, they had to go and fight. Then they came back and wrestle. So it, it took off, and these tournaments were really kept serious, and they – same time every year, same amount of days. So it was a – it was a, a regular thing for people of those times that we were in, and, it, mm -hmm. and we didn't – have TV. Uh, we, you know, we did a couple of Euro sport things, which and I, I think it would, it's probably a good thing we didn't have TV because I think overexposure would not have helped, you know, been in the same arena for six weeks. Right. So I think it's better that you come and see it and get involved in it and whatever angles or, you know, we were doing, they were going to bring you back. Yeah. Jerry, one of the great traditions started by a WWE, WWF worker, uh, Virgil, when he came to uh, Vienna. <laughs> So, so, so Virgil comes to Vienna. He's wrestling Franz Schumann. And Klaus Karoff uh, was my manager over there. He was manager for most of the heels. And the heels, for when they come over, it's a special deal, you know, to give them a little extra heat. Well, Virgil, I, I don't know if he didn't understand. It was pretty serious over there or what happened. But it was an absolute disaster. I mean, disaster. In between rounds, he's climbing around the ring on one of the, the trellises outside. You know, just it just made a, it made a mockery of what we were doing. When he come back, he tried to shake Klaus Karl's hand. Klaus Karl said, that was the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. He walked off. So we're pretty mad because stuff like that hurts your territory for quite a long time. You know, that you can't do something like that, you know, because these are fans that come every day. So the next day, Franz Schumann come in, and he gets a lot of the heat just because he was in the ring with 
Virgil. <laughs> Schumann comes in, everybody just kind of looking at him. Then he brings a whole wheelbarrow or a whole cart full of beer, and he goes, this is for anybody who had to try to watch the match last night. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so the guys, <laughs> you know what? You're fine, Franz. <laughs> but she was. It wasn't Franz. And after that, anytime you had a bad match, you had to bring a case into the <laughs> Uh, great tradition. Tradition started there. Hey, uh, John, you said something, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I only worked uh, probably a half dozen times the rounds, and that's what you came up on. You guys always what five, three minute rounds or something like that. And I guess that was that was was it was that just the way to build a storyline, or or what what was it? Well, I think I think originally that was going off of how boxing was. You know, it was that's how people seen fights. You know, there's you you we had five minute rounds and some some bouts were three minute rounds. I think actually in Germany there were four minute rounds, uh, but they were it was I think to try and keep the seriousness of it. How they wouldn't box and you come back to your corner and you can you can sell that and you know you know they, they can talk about it and you can. But it was it was really strange. It's easy to do. It sounds difficult, but it's actually once you're into it, it's really easy. Because that's all the way from I started in '74. That's that that was how it was until I got to the states. Really, um, is that right? Yeah. So it was it was constantly rounds. Dave, what happened with uh, the way I've got a job over there is because they hired an entire new American crew because Larry Cameron uh, died in the ring. I think it was in Bremen. What happened with all that? I never heard the whole story, uh, but that's anyway. When Larry died, from what I understood, was none of the Americans came back, and so they got an entire new American crew, and that's how I got the job in Europe to begin with. What happened with, with that? He was wrestling Tony St. Clair, right? Yeah, he. he I, I guess he had. We didn't know, but he had a bad heart, um, and unfortunately, I mean, it was it was horrific. You know, it's never good to see in any circumstance. But I mean one of your buddies, you know, going to the ring and not coming back. Yeah. But he, he, I guess he had a, an enlarged heart of some sort. I don't know the whole, all the details, but he did die. Um, and of course his friends that were with him all the time over there, you know, they up in arms and, you know, they, I mean, it's emotional time. So their emotions took control of them and, and, and they didn't, you know, they didn't come back for a while. You know, so a couple of them did, but, um, for the most part, Otto would bring someone in for a couple of years anyway. You know, you would, you know, like yourself, you'd maybe come a couple of times or if you wanted to stay and you wanted to come back, the option was there. But for the most part, uh, you know, guys from the States would come in, maybe do a two year, maybe even one tournament, one, one, uh, one year rather, or take another season and that would be it. You know, they, I think they moved on. I, I think it was a good learning experience for most people from the States or not. It was a. It, you're every day. You're getting good reps. You're learning from all these guys around you. You know, and I, I honestly believe that any time in the ring is is good because whether you're in with the worst worker in the world or the best worker in the world, you're learning something every time you step through the ropes. You know, but but that was a horrible time. It it, it just you know, I think everybody blamed Otto for a while there. You know, it was his fault. It didn't do enough. And, yeah. The, the, the first of my first match over there watching, uh, you had Dave out there with Tony St. Clair, who was an incredible babyface. I love Tony. I mean, he was your, he was your, Dave, if Dave's your textbook heel, 
Tony was your textbook baby face. You just loved working with a guy, you know, like Ricky Morton here in the United States, just can sell like crazy. People love him, good looking guy. Well, they go out. This is my first match I've watched over there. And they have one of the greatest wrestling matches I've ever seen. And I know they did it on purpose. We're in some little bitty spot show and just kind of figuring out what the crew was. And they put on this 30-minute masterpiece. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, geez, I'm not going <laughs> to be here long. <laughs> it's just, but it was those guys marking their territory. Wasn't it, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. And I'm sitting there watching. I'm going, oh, no. Oh, no. 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 And I'm trying to figure out how to get a flight back. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. Dave, Dave and, and, and that time, I mean, you know, I'm always interested in, you know, the, the, the thought process on, uh, you know, you're from Northern Ireland. And, you know, you, you the, the toughness that, that was instilled and in you brought up with it. You come down to the UK and you know, you know the 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 Wigan guys and these these wrestling uh, camp type guys were they as legit all of them uh, as as the stories or is that story a lot like the U.S. stories and just blown up out of proportion or what? I think it's a bit of both. You know, <laughs> you know, there's there's there are great shooters and they were tough, uh, but I also think there might have been guys that would hang about there and hey. I, I, I come from Wigan. I think people would lean on the stories a little bit, you know, but for the most part, I mean, that, they, that Wigan area and that grappling, was, it was good. They were tough, you know, it was, they were really, really good. You know? um, and, and like anything, any, they're, they're for sure were people who would take liberties and take advantage of others. Uh, and then there were guys who you wouldn't know they were the toughest son, son of a gun on the planet. And they, they were, you know. They we could go. Was you around any, or your father around when Bert Azzaretti uh, was was grilling the roost over there? No, Bert Azzaretti was like way before my time, and, and you know, my dad was mostly uh, running shows in in, uh, in in Ireland anyway. I mean, we didn't really cross over. It was sort yeah. of locked. You know, they had, they had their territories. Even though Britain's not a big place, it still it still was, you know, guarded, and they. This is your side of the country. That's my side of the country. So I never had anything to, I never crossed paths with him. I think it's. Were territories protected like that, like they were here? I mean, you know, you had, you had it was a gentleman's agreement, or you just knew I wasn't going to promote Ireland or in Ireland because that families are, I wasn't going to go down to Wigan and that area. How was the promotion? I think for the most part, it was kept that way, but then there was, you always get some rogue that will move in and, you know, try. And there was a lot of, a lot of stupid stuff like, you know, someone's running in your territory and, and and then they would go and, you know, steal a ring post or something so you couldn't put your ring out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so there was stuff like that going on. <laughs> Dave, one thing about it, you know, when we came to the United States, you came, I think, in 96 in WCW. You know, we both m matured uh, significantly. <laughs> uh, do you, you want the story about Hornswoggle and the chicken underneath the ring? <laughs> <laughs> So we were, we, we were on a tour in South America or wherever and we went. So I think one of our stops, we were in Mexico somewhere and uh, we're on a flight between shows and Scott Acock, who's, you know, the security guy. Yeah. Great, great guy. Ex-cop, ex ex-military. Great guy. So he's, he's, he's going, you know, that little son of a gun. He's like, just ribbing me all the time. He's like, 
how can I get him back? I went, you know he's afraid of chickens. And he looked, he said, how, how do you know he's afraid of chickens? I said, well, there was a, there was a thing in uh, Kali was doing, he had all the, all the Indian women around him dancing and, and they had chickens and goats and all that stuff. And I seen Swaggle sell the chickens. I'm going like, his, he had bug eye going like, I'm, I'm, so I watched the fear in Swaggle when he was looking at chickens. I said, I know he's afraid of chickens. So he said, well, what will we do? And, and wait a minute. So your evil self just puts that back in the bank just for yeah. Yeah. Listen, on my phone, I've got on my in my notes on my phone, I've got a, a huge lift, list of what everyone's afraid of. <laughs> people say something, I go, oh, that's going in my phone. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to use it, but I'm sure it's going to come up at some point. <laughs> so so we're on this flight, and I went, oh, I can start this out. So we called Davy Coates, who's, you know, one of the English guys that does the production for Brent Kent. I think he works for w, or did work for WWE. So I was like, hey, Davy, can you get us a chicken? It went, was it fried or boiled? No, no, no. I want <laughs> <laughs> a live chicken. So I came up with this plan that, because we put Hornswoggle under the ring. So I came up with this plan that we'll put him under the ring, and then we'll throw the chicken under the ring. <laughs> so, so we get him under the ring. Here he goes. And then I think Drew McIntyre was wrestling um, Chris. Uh, I can't remember. The guy that done the muscles. Chris and Masters. Chris Masters, yeah. So Masters had this pyro. So we go, okay, so Swoggle, I always put Swoggle under the ring way earlier than he should have been anyway. Sometimes I'd put him under the ring before doors open. We can't get you in during intermission because you know get all these. You got to be in there before the doors open, <laughs> and we're on last. <laughs> so, masters, we get swoggle under the ring, and we rig up lights under the ring, and we got a camera. So we've got the cameraman going film this. Here goes Masters Pyro. We get <laughs> while everybody's looking at Masters. The chicken gets the, it's a friggin' rooster. It, I mean, it's a big white rooster. <laughs> so it was under the ring, and you hear, ah! <laughs> Horse Logan takes its jacket off, and he swipes the chicken's running because it's scared too, right? It's running around. He's swiping at, the, at this friggin' rooster, and he's screaming and he's swearing at it. And, and there's lights on, and, and they're running around in circles, chasing each other like this under the ring. And the chicken comes out from under the ring, jumps in the crowd. Well, we're in Mexico. They catch it and throw it back over the barrier. <laughs> and then we eventually get the chicken there. But he is sweating. He's half his clothes off because he wants to use them as weapons. It was hell. I thought it was going to die laughing. I heard there's a I heard there's a video of this. There is. There is. Because you guys rigged a video underneath with some lights so you could see yeah. what happened with Hornswoggle. This was this, – this was an interesting We got to find that video. <laughs> yeah, I would think, you know, Sean Selman might have the video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to throw a name out there. <laughs> I bet he does. <laughs> or he might know has it. <laughs> and you almost sold Hornswoggle one time. I think it was in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> about almost selling Hornswoggle and him getting so upset about it and so concerned that he actually started calling you Dave, which he never does. Dave, <laughs> Dave, yeah. Dave. Yeah. So, 
So we're in the lobby of the hotel in the Philippines somewhere, and you know, it's I, I see this guy looking at Swoggle like he's looking at a meal, right? And like, <laughs> <laughs> I go, hey, you you want to buy him? He went. Mm. <laughs> I go, so I've got Swoggle by the by his collar. I'm holding on. I'm going, I'm not, this guy and myself are talking money. We're going, well, how much? <laughs> and he, the Swoggle's looking up me, going like, wait, wait no, what are you doing? <laughs> no. I'm gonna sell you. Be all right. I'll get you back. <laughs> and, and, and I'm I'm the guy's talking serious money here, and I'm like pushing him towards. I'm pushing Swaggle towards the guy, and he's going. Uh-huh. And as we say, Dave, 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 Dave. <laughs> he's getting more serious and more serious. This was like 15 minute conversation, and he's sweating. <laughs> he is his nuts off because he thinks I'm gonna sell. I would have done it, but the money was right. But. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love Orn Swoggle. What about John would have done it for a cold beer? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what always. About, <laughs> hey Dave, what I just uh, what got to have the, the tennis balls with Horn Swoggle in Europe? <laughs> so we're uh, we're in France. So I've somehow I found out that Swoggle can juggle. Right, he's good juggling. So I, I come up with these spots, especially with Kali. You know, I get the midget. You got the looking big giant. So I said, okay, um, we've done these things. So what I what what I would do was, you know, you know, Swaggle would be outside. I'd roll him in. Uh, I'd roll in after him. Kali would drill me, and I'd go out to the floor. And now it's Kali and Horn Swaggle face off. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, he's bowing up to Kali, and then he'd go like take his hat off, chuck his hat away, and go in his pockets and pull these. Balls out, and Kali would do that, you know. Oh, now he'd start juggling, and Kali's amazed at the juggling. Then he'd throw the balls at Swaggle, and he'd, he'd go to get him, and I'd slide back in to make a bit of a comeback. <laughs> so we're in Paris. I go, hey, you got your tennis balls with you? He went, no. I said, why? It's like leaving your boots behind. You got to bring <laughs> you got to bring your balls. <laughs> he went, no, I didn't, I didn't bring them. So, okay, we'll, we'll get some. So. I sent the production people to get some tennis balls. We're in Paris. And as they come back, here's the six tennis balls. And they would go, who's going to pay for that? I said, Swoggle is. He'll pay for them. <laughs> and they just walk away. Went, oh, oh, hold on a minute. Wait, wait. How much were they? They were like, you know, 10 bucks. I said, can you write me up a receipt, like for, you know, a couple of hundred? <laughs> so I got a receipt for $272. <laughs> yeah. And they said, tell them that these are championship balls because the Paris Open is on right now. So, <laughs> so these championship, here he goes. Night, he gets he gets the balls and he pays the bill. And he said, don't tell Fit that I paid this much for these balls. <laughs> <laughs> so every night we do this spot in the ring, I get the tennis balls and I throw them into the crowd. And he's getting security to go and get the balls back every single night. <laughs> Dude, what are you what are you doing? We can buy tennis balls. They're like 10 bucks. No, no, no. I want I want these balls because you know, because they're like first ones I bought in, in Europe. <laughs> you know, I'm going like, Dude, that's so stupid. You know, and, and every night I'm, balls are going in the crowd. And he's turning white. He's going like, oh. <laughs> and, 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 uh, Big Show went, the event we're getting into the end of the tour and big show what is what is wrong with you you know and so swallow confided in big show that he paid almost 300 bucks for tennis balls 
and show went off. He's going, what? Somebody, somebody's taking liberties with you. Ah, go and see the production. And show's storming off to see the production. I went, hold on a minute. <laughs> so I had to smart him up. And so he went back to Swag and went, yeah, the championship balls, that's how much it cost. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the end of the tour. Normally I don't let people up. I just let this go on and on and on. And on. But so the end of the tour, I go, I give him the money. I said, here. Here's the money for those balls. I've just found out how much they were. Went, no, no, I, I'll, I'll pay for them. You know, it's my fault. I should have brought them. I said, no, here's the money. And he, would, he wouldn't take the money. I'm going, are you sure? He went, yeah, I'm sure. I said, okay. It was a rib anyway. They were only like 10 bucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have entertainment. You got to have that entertainment on the road. And that's, that's what makes the time go by. And that's, you know, sure. that's what makes our business fun too. <laughs> when we for first sure. got to we first got to Grotz, we were in a boarding house and they had the shower down the, the hall and the, they said, Hey, it costs money to go in the shower. And it ended up not costing, but they they, they weren't ribbing us. They didn't know it didn't cost money. So the, all the Americans were either showering at the gym or showering at the arena because they didn't want to pay for the shower. So one day I'd been out with Otto and I got this nice plum schnapps and I gave it, I don't like schnapps, so I gave it to the guy at the front who in 94 was watching the soccer football World Cup. And I said, here, and it must have been very expensive because he was very thankful. So he asked me to sit down with him. So I said, how much does a shower cost? And he said, oh, it's, no, it's, it's free. I said, please don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, so one night, one of the guys, I've been showering every afternoon, just to let the guy see it. Like for, like for an hour, I'm in there going, how much does this cost to you? I said, I don't care, man. I don't care. I'm on the shower. Not a big deal to me. I'm just going to pay it. So one night, one of the guys goes in, he's going, I'm going to shower it. I don't care what it costs. And he comes back to me. He goes, the guy at the front desk doesn't know you have to pay. I said, really? So every night at midnight, all the boys would line up to get in the shower because they thought the guy that came on at midnight wasn't charging to get in the shower. So I've got this rib going and nobody knows it except for me. So finally at the end of the tour, I, I, I pulled Dave aside. I said, I think you, you're going to find this funny. I'm not sure. I, I said, but I got to tell somebody when I told Dave, he goes, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. He said, you got to tell Otto. So I go and tell Otto, Otto and then Otto does the same thing. Vic does with it. He makes up this long bill about shower fees. So he comes in there and presents it to all the guys. And they're like, screw this. We're going home. We're leaving. So I'm just, Wait a minute. Maybe I'll talk to somebody, pull some strings. They're going, Otto's the best. <laughs> Otto never told them. To this day, if they hear never. this, the first time they've hold it. I don't know if you own that. In, that, in Grants, they would take us to a butcher's place and they would grill for us and, and big, huge steaks. And I mean, just all day long schnapps and beers and we got to work of course you know so we had, had to be careful <laughs> so all the guys would be like especially american guys that would you know yeah eat three steaks and all this and we drink a couple beers and yeah after the show mick mcmichael would come to him with his little notebook and go like uh how many steaks did you have they're <laughs> <laughs> like why well we got to pay for them so you had three steaks right and <laughs> so he's writing down every what everybody's had for food, had for lunch and these steaks. Now we, you can pay this at the end of the week. <laughs> <Make me> just... <laughs> the 
Mick and people started fasting when they had to find pay for them. <laughs> hey, McMichael was so great in in starting up in especially in Germany. The the referee would find the heels, and sometimes the babyface they'd find the heels, but it was all a work. So Mick McMichael would get out his pad and he would start finding. Say if Dave's working, let's say with Tony mm -hmm. St. Clair, which was always a big match, he'd find Dave for all kinds of different stuff. But then Tony would do something to Dave and you know get him back. And Mick McMichael would find Tony. Well, once you find find Tony St. Clair, some fan would come up and pay the fine. So then, <laughs> then Tony would do it again and again and again. The fans kept coming up to pay the fine and pay the fine <laughs> and pay the fine. And then Dave and Mick and Tony would come back to the back and split all the money. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It's a wonderful world. Dave, <laughs> I want to talk before we go, the, the women's division. You came over now, you know, you had that run with uh, WCW, got hurt, uh, which, you know, almost lost your leg uh, in the match with the uh, knobs, I guess, uh, in the house yeah. show. And then you came down to WWE as producer, but you really changed the women's division, you know, from what we were doing in the attitude area, which was really just a different era. You know, it wasn't just, you know, it's different right. for guys. It was different for, it was different for everybody into what it becomes now. Talk a little bit about that transition. Well, I mean, so when I got there, I was, so I'm a producer and I was given, I think it might have been Gerald that gave me the girls anyway. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I think, yeah, it was, I think it was a rib because what he said earlier, you know, that, you know, you see Dave coming in here, tough guy, you can know, he, you know, I think he went, oh, I'm going to rib him, give him the girl. <laughs> Gerald, I think it started with you. <laughs> I think that you didn't have the girls. <laughs> We're always thinking Dave, Dave's doing like this uh, swimming pool mud putting match. You know, here's one of the great <laughs> pressers of all time, and he's the producer for this putting right. match. <laughs> a total rip, total rip on me. <laughs> well, you know, Dave, I was just returning. You know, here, you know, we had similar backgrounds, of course, coming up with her with her wrestling ability. So, you know, they stuck me with the with the girls, and all of a sudden, I Dave fin fin Finley's coming in. Uh, tough, you know what? He's got to start just like I did. <laughs> so, congratulations, Dave. But, man, what a job you did. Because we were transforming at the time, like John said. We were having, you know, mud house, uh, mud slide matches, jello matches, uh, all that stuff. And I felt sorry for some of the girls that were actually athletes. And, you know, we wanted to do more. But, you know, that boss man, that, you know, sat there, that, you know, entertainment. We're in the attitude. That's, that's what we're doing now. But. The whole concept changed, and you brought that change to them. And man, what advancement did these girls! You you created the movement, man. Thank you. Well, I think it was. I think that you know the, all the women, you know, they were going to do what they were asked to do and told to do, and and they were happy to be there. And I I never got any pushback from any of them. But I also felt I was a little bit embarrassed for them and for myself having to go having to tell them how to. You know, do a sunset flip and 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 pull your pull your uh, clothing off, and you know it was just. It, and I was doing these mud things, and it was just terrible. And I I just ended up getting the girls together and go, hey, here's how I feel about it. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but to me, I think you would prefer to do something better than this. And and, it, and if you're willing, I'll teach you how to wrestle. I'll teach you how to work. And, and we just, as you know, Joe, we were, I was in the ring four or five hours a day with these girls and, and stuff. Just teaching them stuff. So that's all it was. I was, 
and I had almost all of them come to me in tears, thanking me uh, that I had actually noticed that this is not really what they should should be doing, or or they could be doing better. So it was it was a joint effort on my part and their part. They put the effort in. I just you know give them direction and it, you gave them the tools to get better. Is what you did. Right, right. So and it goes back to your father teaching those kids. Your 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 reflection of that. You're you're teaching these young young ladies how to how to be yeah. athletes instead of showpieces out there. Yeah, and 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 and, and I'm glad it, it went in the direction it did. And you know, I think they're in a better place. And that's not done to me. That's just you know their passion and them moving forward with the little bit I gave them, and they ran with it. So you know, it's, it's in a better place. I think. And it's a different time, a different era, as you say. You know, it was that was a different time back then before that. So it's in a great place now. Do you do you like what it's become or do you think it needs to evolve further? I I think I mean it, listen, I know that no one in this business had a perfect match. I know everybody can learn, everybody can get better, and it and it and it always will. I think it's in, I think it's in a good place. Could it get better? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I ne- I never ever settle with this is good enough you know i to me i i tell everybody i said i I tell them if you're not standing out you're standing still you know you got to keep moving you got to keep just to me hey good enough is not good enough so i think it could be in a better place dave 93 your uh i think your son uh dave jr was born uh, I was there in '94, so I got to see his first uh, couple years. Uh, right. He'd run around the, the campground everywhere. It was cool. The, the entire life that we that, that we lived. Uh, before we go, give us give us an update on your sons and your daughter. So, you gave us a little bit earlier, but where they are yeah. and what they're doing. So David is 28. He turns 28 tomorrow, and he's in Japan right now. So Japan, I guess, have had a, an outbreak of COVID. And so they started canceling shows. He works for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, they started having an outbreak. A lot of the talent got COVID. So they were sending them home. Uh, they went to the airport yesterday. And almost all of them were tested positive for COVID. So they were sent back. They were going to go to a government hotel, but then they made a deal and they put, in, put them in the dojo. So my, my son David and Jay White are in the dojo quarantine there for another 10 days or so which is ridiculous so the covid has just you know as the whole world had just you know put everything on standstill for a little bit you know and we'll get over it but you know he's he's doing well there uh, i don't know how new japan are going to handle this new outbreak or, or I, I don't know no one does um but he's a little bit um Confused at the minute as what to do next. You know, is he going to stay in Japan? Does he want to, you know, try here, like WWE or, or whatever? You know, but he's, he's, you know, him and I are going to sit down when he does eventually come home and try and figure it out. But, you know, he's he just needs a little bit of wisdom put in his head. Not that I have any, but, you know. <laughs> uh, my youngest son, Brogan, is just, he's 18. He's in New Jersey right now. He, uh, you know, I've had him in there. I've got a ring here at the house. So I've had him, you know, my kids have always been around rings and around the wrestling like I was. So he's been in the ring. There's a little school close to where I am now, and he's been going up there, and he's had a couple of these little matches in the school. And uh, there's another town next to me here. It's called Tyrone. 
they had a little show there with maybe 60 people in. So he's worked there. So he, I didn't know where he got his height from. He's like over six feet. He's maybe six one. So I'm going like, eh, where do you, cause I, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not over six feet. Where, where'd you get that from? Maybe his mother. So, you know, he's, he's a little, he's more like me than David is. David's more like his mother. He's, you know, he's a nice person. I like, I'm, <laughs> I've got this bad attitude and, you know, weird sense of humor and will rib you any chance I get. Rogan's exactly the same. He's a heel at heart, like I was, or am. <laughs> and, but he's he's destined. He you know he before the COVID he was asked to go to Japan and go to dojo, New Japan. So that was his journey. I don't know where it's going to go now. We'll, we'll figure that one out. But he's he's in New Jersey right now. He's go. He's learning to do jujitsu. He's just doing these little shows and training, and um, maybe back here in the middle of June. My daughter just, um, she just had a baby, six months old now. She is, so that's, that's, we're all sitting around waiting for this COVID stuff to go away, really. Which I think is a good thing that now we've got nothing to do or we've got less to do. Especially this job, we can, we can make things better. You know, we can work on the little details of how to make yourself better. The job better, you know. It's time to look in the mirror and go. I can do better, no matter what we're doing. Good. Good. Well, Dave, I can't thank you enough for joining us because I, I still. Oh, you. John, John, I'm gonna jump. I, I got, I gotta hear something. I've, I, you know, I, you know, a very dear friend of ours, uh, William Regal, and I know what kind of friendship that that you developed throughout the years. There's got to be a story that you can share with John and I and the rest of the people watching this thing, all, all seven of them out there. And, yeah, another great guy. Tell us your favorite William Regal story. I've got a here. This one's really this one's really embarrassing for him. So <laughs> good, good. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not, because you know, he's I think he's gone through a, a, an amazing journey through his life. And I think it's very hard to embarrass him or, or, or whatever. But at this young age, I think he was maybe 17, 16, 17 when I wrestled him. One of the first times I wrestled him. So, you know, I, I throw him out of the ring and he goes between the, the, the middle and the top and he hits his ear on the apron on the way to the floor. And he stand, and he comes up a couple of seconds later and his ear is black. It's, and and he's, he's got his hand on his ear and his face is all screwed up, and there's tears in his eyes. So, <laughs> so he comes back in the ring, and I just tie him up, and I start punching him. I just punching him in the ear, and he's crying like a little baby in the ring. He's like, ah! <laughs> so I just treat him like a little little kid. Then, <laughs> yeah, what a great career! What a great career uh, Regal has had, and what a what a fantastic man and person, and and, and the kids are. Over in next year, they're, they they just I hope they realize with you and and Regal and the other coaches there what advantage they have in this business to to be in the presence of of teachers like you and Regal and and, and that you know I I got a friend that was an Olympic coach he, he said I'm a teacher before I'm a coach and I I I look at you and I look at Regal and I I see teachers there I don't see coaches. I see people with passion and they want to teach teach these kids the right way to do things. So these, these kids in NXT, they couldn't have better better people. And and just going back to Regal, you know, I and relatively I, I had it relatively easy getting into this business because my 
you know, my, it's my family business. So I didn't have to go and search this. I wonder where I could get trained and all that, but, but Regal and, and, and others, you know, he had to leave his home, go and find, find out where, where, first of all, where he could get trained. And it, and, it, and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and he gets stretched and beat up and stretched. And, and he was what, 15, 14, 15 years old too, right? 15 or 16. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he, he went through a rough time to actually get into this. I didn't go through that because I was already born into it, you know? So to do that, suck it up and keep moving on. And the journey he's had is, it's, it's outstanding. It's amazing. You know, we forget that part of it. You know, we see the, the, the end of it and what the outcome of it. We never think about the journey. Okay. Some, of, some of a lot of people in this business have come through, you know, Dave, one of the reasons we do this show is because we like talking to friends, for one. But two, we like talking about great times in the business. And that European tour, ever anybody who's been on it will tell you how great that European yeah. tour was. That was so such a wonderful <laughs> tour to be on. Special, special time. I, I seen Dave Taylor uh, last week. He was down at the, the PC and uh and we're just leaning on the ring watching all there's four or five rings in there and all that. I'm going like we, you know, how lucky were we? to experience, you know, Gratz and Vienna and, and Hanover and Bremen. It just the lifestyle and the way we, I mean, it's just like magical. It really was. I mean, it's, it's never going to happen again. And I'm, I'm so glad that I, I did it and journeyed through it. It was amazing. You know, all you guys coming through, it just, I mean, it's a, it's a forever bond of a friendship if you've journeyed that. And it's, it's special. It really was. Dave, getting to watch you over there was special for anybody who's ever seen it. And uh, thank you very much for joining uh, Gerald Briscoe and I on, the, on, our, on our show. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's a podcast or what it is, but we're sure having a good time. <laughs> Tell, we had to, it's a road trip. Tell we like to call it a road trip, Dave. It's just a deal yeah. like we're sitting in a car telling bullshit stories, just like we tell on it. Well, it might be a good thing that this is virtual and not sitting at a bar telling these stories. <laughs> there may be a couple more created. <laughs> That's right.